Tech, the RigTech Pulse. You're here with Julia. Today I am joined by Mokabo Coupe, who joins us from Transparency International. Mokabo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Julia. Um, I think maybe if we want to start with uh, a bit of introductions, um, the regional advisor for Southern Africa. Um, I've been with uh, TI now for just over a year. And it just might be one of the most exciting jobs I've, I've ever done. Um, I'm based actually out of Berlin, which I think mm -hmm. everyone knows is a fairly lovely city. And um, what I can say makes me very proud about the work that we do at TI is really the impact that it has on the ground, particularly in Africa, where I'm from. Um, you would know that TI is, is a global movement of NGOs, and the work that we do is really uh, in anti-corruption. Um, so what we aim at doing is uh, having as much impact as possible um, in terms of fighting corruption and ensuring that our interventions affect the person on the ground more than anything else. Uh, we aim at... Um, ensuring uh, public accountability, because we've seen uh, that public accountability is really at the center of, of being able to fight um, anti-corruption. Now, in terms of uh, the work that we do uh, at the Africa Desk, I would say um, what is increasingly important for us is being able to fight uh, money laundering, um, as well as illicit financial flows. Um, because what we've noticed, uh, unfortunately, is that monies that ordinarily um, would be used to fund development programming um, within the con uh, continent are unfortunately being uh, siphoned out by um, unscrupulous uh, individuals. So what we've seen um, in terms of, you know, being able to do the work that we do to the best of our ability is the importance really of partnerships. And, and that's really where uh, the private sector comes in, as well as uh, state-owned enterprises. We found them to be really critical players in ensuring uh, transparency and accountability in, in the corporate sector. Because, I mean, if we are to achieve the sustainable development goals, really at the center of it all is, is our ability to be able to fight, um, to fight corruption and enhance transparency and accountability within trade. And it's become increasingly important within the continent because um, just a few months ago, um, Africa signed uh, the Continental Free Trade Agreement. So in the next couple of years, we're going to really see a boom you know, uh, high and unprecedented levels of trade within the continent. So really now more than ever is, is a time of vigilance, a time for accountability and working together to fight corruption. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And that brings us on to, to our second speaker. So Charles Thomas, um, obviously corruption is a cause, or anti-bribery and corruption, I should say, is a cause very close to your heart. Charles, can you just give us a quick introduction to the work you do? You were on recently, so our viewers, our listeners might know you. 
All right, viewers, I'm glad, gladly, gladly it's only audio, so you don't get to see me suffering in the morning. Um, anyway, thanks, thanks for having me back. So, yeah, um, I think one of the lovely things Makaro said that is really kind of helps with what we do and what I do, um, which is working with our clients, working with the market to make sure we can answer the problems and solve the issues that, that companies face when they're out trying to invest, trying to do good business, trying to work comfortably. There's that lovely idea of partnership where it's not just governments that have to bring in legislation to stop bribery and corruption, but companies have a responsibility as well. I think there's another little responsibility that's increasingly important, which is us, consumers, you know, the wider public. Um, I think we're all effectively partners in this little piece there. So within LexisNexis Risk Solutions, we, we provide software, data, and services and solutions that help people navigate the risks of doing business. And I think today when we're going to be talking about state ownership and state control in Africa, um, there's, as my always says, there's a huge amount of trade within Africa. There's also a huge amount of trade both in and out of Africa in terms of raw materials, sourcing and manufacturing, um, which is kind of making it a really exciting and dynamic um, world. But it's one that does present a few risks and a few issues to look into. Exactly. So maybe we start off with that, actually. Makabo, maybe you could talk us through, um, obviously, your focus is Africa. Um, can you explain a little bit more maybe about the landscape there, maybe some of the specific problems um, and maybe some of how, how the governments are trying to fight bribery and corruption that are specific to that region? Uh, unfortunately, time and time again, um, Julia, Africa finds itself uh, at the bottom of the leaderboard in terms of various uh, governance indices. Uh, now, the flagship program that we have within TI for, measure, for measuring corruption is something known as the CPI, the Corruption Perception Index. Now, this index is something that we release on an annual basis. Um, we use it, it's, it's essentially a survey that we use to gauge uh, the levels of corruption within the globe. Um, it's a fairly effective tool to be able to get a glance or a snapshot of levels of corruption within uh, a particular country. Of course, it's a perception tool, so it does have its limitations, um, but it has been used uh, for a number of years now by various traders and investors to be able to get uh, a pulse of what um, the situation is like in a particular country in terms of, of corruption. Um, Complementary to that is the Global Corruption Barometer, um, which is released um, every two years. Now, what is different about the Global Corruption Barometer is it gives views of the everyday individual um, of what they feel their experience is as they engage um, with the public sector. So it gives a really holistic view of what corruption is like uh, for the everyday person on a day-to-day -day person as they engage with the police, the healthcare system, etc. So using the two tools, one can get a fairly good picture of um, what the levels of corruption would be in a particular country and then um, be able to frame their due diligence programs effectively. 
In terms of what the governments are doing to fight corruption, uh, most countries in Southern Africa have fairly good normative frameworks to fight corruption. But what I would say they're weak on is where it comes to implementation, which leaves a lot of the countries vulnerable to opportunistic individuals. So Charles, bringing it on to you, could you just give us a quick overview? You did talk about this um, on our recent podcast. Maybe just recap some of the regulations, maybe if there's any specific to the Africa region. So in terms of who is enforcing, um, you know, the anti-bribery and corruption measures within these countries. Yeah, I can. Um, so I think it's almost there's, there's a global and a local level. I like, like the idea when um, like I was talking about the global corruption barometer of the everyday people, sort of people on the ground, if you will. There's almost two avenues to <clears throat> anti-bribery and corruption regulation worldwide. There's the big beasts in the place, which are things like the Foreign and Corrupt Practice Act from the US, uh, which is probably the most powerful still to this day. And it really applies to any connection to the US. And that's all, but therefore, that's almost any business in the world. Um, if you trade in dollars, if you list on a stock exchange, etc., um, if you do business with the US. And one central part of that is it's about trying to out, outlaw, trying to make illegal bribery of a foreign public official or an instrumentality of state. So it's what's sometimes called a PEP, a politically exposed person, is, is a an instrumentality of state. But it also goes further than that, that that instrumentality can be a company or a business as well, um, or an organisation, which is where we got into the idea of a state-owned or state-controlled entity. So part of that is any company trying to comply with the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act has to know if they're doing business with a state-owned or state-controlled entity or doing business with a politically exposed person. One of the interesting things is that this this carries through across all the other laws worldwide that, that govern this. So there's Sapandeur in France, um, the Chinese Criminal Code includes a piece on this as well. Almost any law you, you care to look at that's about bribery and corruption or stopping bribery and corruption will say, do due diligence, know if you're doing business with governments. So why, why is government so important in this case, I suppose, is the question. Well, partly because if you're, well, actually, I'm going to slightly rephrase that. Because it's state-owned entities, you have to know if you're doing business with them. There's almost a little culture of fear. Oh, we can't do business with a government entity. We can't do business with them because they're state-owned or state-controlled. Well, that's rubbish. You can, and in many cases, you have to. You know, if you want to engage in a country, you have to do business with the government. You can't not. Um, if you want to open a new factory, well, you're going to have to get the appropriate licenses. You're going to have to get the appropriate um, employment law pieces covered through. That means going through government. If you're going to use um, you know, almost any business, um, what, what is a state-owned company it can be huge. It can be anyone. But the reason that the risks come in I say there shouldn't be a, step, a culture of fear about doing business with state-owned companies. But the risks come in because of where those state-owned and state-controlled and government uh, bodies fit within the, the flow of a product or a service. If you, if you take something like, I've got a bar of chocolate on my desk, which happens to be it's a really good company that I like called Green and Black, so I'm just going to give them a name because they're great. They do really good ethical sourcing of what they buy. So they buy their cocoa beans from Ghana. So they're buying cocoa in Ghana. They're obviously then making it from raw material into chocolate, which I go and buy in my village shop. Um, at every stage of that raw material to end product, there's going to be a government connection. 
So the, the export of those goods goes through a government-approved border control, or not government-approved, government-run border control. Um, if you're shipping goods in and out of a country, it, it's, it's always regulated by the government. So at every stage of that, they have to have the appropriate licenses, have the appropriate contact, do business with the state-owned or state-controlled entity in the appropriate way. But whenever there is a raw material going from raw material to end product, as it goes up the value chain, as it becomes more of a, of a high value product, and actually chocolate maybe isn't the best example, um, but it, it's one where there are ethical um, supply chain concerns. As it goes up that supply chain, they every point of that government connection gives somebody a chance to say, well, you know, I could maybe look the other way or sign off a piece of paper differently for you if you pay me X, you pay me X dollars, and I'll make sure your shipment goes through first or faster or whatever it may be. It's because of where government sits in that supply chain process that they pose a risk. Government-owned and government-controlled companies or bodies are not in and of themselves a risk. You have to do business with them. It's the individuals, so either the PEPs or the employees of those, that may potentially pose a risk within that. So it's not necessarily government corruption. It's going back to that idea of everyday individuals um, within that that pose the corruption. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's where uh, organisations like Transparency International would come in with those with those indexes. The you know the 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 corruption perceptive index, the global corruption barometer. Do those just give essentially a, a framework of um, you know, this, these are some of the risks within this country. These are some of the, maybe the actions that you should be taking to protect yourself. Maybe talk us through a little bit more of that, Mokabo. I think they're a good starting point, but we do also have um, more specific tools um, to assist uh, both uh, state-owned enterprises as well as the private sector to be able to enhance transparency and accountability. Now, just to add to what uh, Charlie said, I think uh, it's a rule of course that you cannot avoid doing business with state-owned enterprises, particularly if you want to do business in Africa, um, because they're increasingly becoming uh, relevant in terms of the economic landscape of Africa. And even if you look at um, the Fortune 500 companies listing, you'll find um, that increasingly uh, state-owned enterprises are, are big players uh, within that listing, particularly from um, places such as China. So in terms of doing business with, with them, it's not something that can be avoided. And it's actually something that um, should be looked into as you know, a fundamental way of doing business moving forward. Um, you tend to find them operating within very crucial service sectors such as infrastructure, transport, um, natural resources. And these are really some of the most lucrative sectors for business, um, according to Forbes. So they really are important players. Now, in terms of the tools that we have um, within TI, um, we have uh, three uh, very important tools, um, two for state-owned enterprises and one that can assist uh, the private sector in, in, in being able to enhance transparency and accountability. I think a starting point for any entity really wanting to improve 
on uh, internal regulation, corporate governance, or anti-corruption programming within itself is really looking at um, an assessment or health check just to check the pulse of the organization and the extent to which a culture of transparency and integrity is inculcated within that particular organization. So for state-owned enterprises, we do have this health check, which is we found to be fairly useful. We also have uh, 10 anti-corruption principles for state-owned enterprises, which is a system of guidelines um, which allow state-owned enterprises to um, inculcate a culture of ethics and integrity into the way that they do business, improve on corporate governance, improve on transparency in reporting. And we found it to be a fairly useful tool when used um, along with other, you know, regional guidelines such as the OECD tools for state-owned enterprises. Um, another tool um, which is fairly useful for the private sector is the TI business principles for countering bribery. Now, the, this is essentially a code for business um, initiated by ourselves to help corporate entities to enhance transparent business practices. Now, similar to the guidelines for SOEs, the starting point is really assessing the level of risk for bribery within an organization, and then moving into the second step of putting in the relevant internal controls, um, such as you know, how to deal with issues of conflict of interest, um, anti-bribery procedures, and how to really reduce the overall level of risk. And are you seeing that have an impact in terms of the the, the landscape in Africa? Are you seeing um, governments changing the way that they approach things? Are they implementing these tools? Is it having a, a, an impact on the way that state-owned enterprises run? What we found is that um, in countries such as South Africa, where there have been issues of state capture, you tend to find that, unfortunately, state-owned enterprises are very much... Um, within the center of this web of, of, of corruption. So the problems are there, but what we have seen as well, in addition to the problem, is a strong anti-corruption drive coming out of gov governments, particularly in Southern Africa, um, to the effect and the tone of, you know, um, we will no longer tolerate uh, corruption. Uh, a, good, a good example is, is Angola, where there's been a really strong drive at uh, private, privatization as a means to reduce the levels of corruption within that country and enhance competitiveness whilst also um, improving uh, the resources that are available to the government for development programming. Charlie, I can see you taking notes there. Did you want to add anything? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm furiously <laughs> scribbling away. Um, using a fountain pen, everyone should use fountain pens to take notes. It's much nicer. Um, one of the things you brought up there, Makaba, is brilliant. You were saying that state-owned entities are now big players. They're, they're big entities. And they offer often, particularly with China investing in Africa, there's a huge inward rush of economic investment. Um, they're often involved in big infrastructure projects, uh, manufacturing, construction, etc., and that's obviously very true. But the other piece you brought up was the idea that that, uh, that that state capture or the changing landscape of state ownership and control 
and it's one of those things that it's not almost any company can have some element of state ownership or state control I mean, there was the lovely fact that some years ago the london stock exchange was part owned by the libyan government so you know the most unlikely in industries are state owned or state controlled um they're not owned by them anymore they don't have the ownership in there now <clears throat> but it does mean that the identifying and knowing what is state owned or state controlled is fluid it keeps changing um it requires you to to not just check once and then accept that everything's right and um, there's that lovely quote from ronald reagan which i think is was about nuclear disarmament but trust but verify so if you took the example of uh, angola for example you might be working with an entity in angola that's state-owned and state-controlled they're your business partner you've been working with them for ages you know you have to but then tomorrow they're privatized tomorrow then they're not state-owned or state-controlled now does that change the risk of doing business with them probably not you'd certainly hope not but does it mean you have to be aware that their status has changed absolutely you have to know that what was a state-owned company yesterday is now fully private and it can go both ways it can move in and out in different directions um it just means that you just have to keep monitoring keep reviewing keep on top of that and not just accept that everything is the same Again, back to that Reagan quote, trust but verify. We trust our partners. We work with them for years. But let's just verify that they are who they say they are. And let's verify that their status hasn't changed. And if you have something as dynamic as that situation of privatization changes almost overnight, it just means the monitoring process has to be much more, much tighter, much more controlled. And I think that one of the final things I just want to touch on from Makaba, though, is he talked about effectiveness and doing these health checks. I think those are a brilliant thing just to just to go make sure everything's okay. Just keep checking on it. But the effectiveness piece, I'm going to use this to plug something else that your colleagues in Transparency International UK have just published. They just published a really cool piece, a really interesting piece on the effectiveness of compliance programs. So it's, it's almost all well and good having a good compliance program. Well done, you've got a good compliance program. But if you don't monitor how effective it is and how it's actually working, then there's no point having it. Um, I always remember that Enron used to, but apparently Enron had one of the best compliance programs in the world. Um, they didn't really do anything about it, but they had it. It's there. It was all in policy, and they kind of looked the other way. It was written down. It was all written down. But, so having those effectiveness health checks, if you will, that, that TI um, operate, that gives companies a really good way of just, just checking, stop, back to that quote trust but verify yeah we've got a policy we've got it written down we've got a program written down let's just verify that it's actually working okay so we are probably coming up to time so what i like to do is the way that we finish these podcasts um any sort of closing thoughts closing tips what advice would you give to companies and, and maybe even mahabo advice to state-owned entities in this region what what kind of helpful helpful tips would you give to these these organizations? Um, I would say because um, state-owned enterprises are essentially, um, no matter ownership by the state of whatever level, um, they're essentially custodians of the citizens within the country that they operate in. Um, it's more important than ever that they put transparency at the heart of their operations. Um, I think now more than ever, because of the situation we're in, 
in terms of the global pandemic, um, people are becoming increasingly woke to how uh, monies are being spent within their countries, the level of commercial transactions being done by the state and how these transactions are being done. Um, and because people are becoming increasingly woke, there's a need really now more than ever for greater transparency and accountability. That's brilliant. And Charlie, any final closing advice or wise words from you? I think my, my, I'm going to go back to one of the things that came at the beginning, which is the idea of a partnership. I think I, I love I love this term partnership and the risk of sounding like somebody from Sesame Street and talking about cooperation. It is about cooperation. It is about partnership. So you've got the likes of us. Uh, we, we're a vendor. We provide services to industry. Um, you've got the businesses themselves who are looking to invest and looking to do business in countries. You've got the state owned entities who are looking to, as Makaba says, look after and maximize the, the benefit for the country, for the state by which they're owned. Um, you've got the governments and then you've got bodies such as Transparency International working to help do this. And I think the big, the biggest piece of this is the idea of partnership. That Ed, and actually, there's one other group in there, which is us, the consumer, the end, the end customer for any of these things. That idea of partnership is something that's really strong and it's it keeps getting better. We're seeing you know, some of the stuff that TI are doing with governments around the world is, is fantastic and helping to really push an agenda that getting rid of corruption levels the playing field and makes sure that investment goes to the right people. It goes to putting fresh water into place. It goes to putting education or infrastructure. It doesn't line the pockets of a select few. What we want to do is make sure those select few bad people are outside of that partnership and the partnership starts working together to, to stop them getting it, stop that illicit flow of money, get the money going to where it should be. So yeah, the partnership piece, I think ev everyone's got a little part to play at every stage of that partnership. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much for joining me. Makaba Kupe from Transparency International and Charles Thomas from LexisNexis Risk Solutions. And of course, to you, our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to speaking to you again soon on the RevTech Pulse.